We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. If you are not a Catholic, and perhaps even if you are, the name of a St. Louis Jesuit priest may not be familiar, but his influence on American Catholics and on moviegoers of any denomination has been profound. I'm speaking of Father Daniel Lord. He was born in Chicago, but St. Louis has claimed him for many years he spent and worked here. He's been called the most influential American Catholic cleric of the 20th century. He's the subject of a documentary film to be shown Sunday as part of the Cinema St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase. It is titled, The Restless Flame, Thinking Big in a Parochial World. With me in studio is filmmaker Stephen Werner. He wrote, produced, and narrated the film. Steve, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Why was Father Lord so important? He was probably one of the most influential American Catholic religious figures in the 20th century. He uh, had a huge influence on millions and millions of people. Uh, but they were ordinary people, and he had influence in ordinary ways, so there's not much of a, a record of that. Um, but he did so many things. Uh, he wrote pamphlets, 228 pamphlets that sold 25 million copies in the United States, many millions more overseas. They were translated into a, a dozen languages. And he created this huge body of literature for Catholics about how to live out their faith, how to understand their faith, and how to live good lives. He seemed to have free reign to do uh, many of these things. Uh, who, who was his boss? Uh, his boss would have been the provincial, but the, they they gave him free reign, yeah. as they did a number of St. Louis Jesuits. They were working on their projects and given the the freedom to do it. They typically had to raise their own money for it. Um, but there's a number of them that had this liberty, and uh, he set up his whole organization, raised the money, mostly through pamphlet sales, and uh, built this whole uh, the Queen's work is what the movement is called, named after the magazine they put out, the Queen's work, named for Mary, the Queen of Heaven. You you mentioned the pamphlets, and they're certainly an important part of his work, but he also wrote 30 books. He was a producer, I guess, of uh, some extra- extravaganzas on stage, some of which had as many as a, a, a thousand people in the cast. Now, that's correct. He d- had 70 plays, musicals, and pageants in, in his life, from very small things to very large things. Uh, when he was a kid in Chicago, his mom took him to theater when he was an infant, and so he was exposed to all kinds of theater. And he was there in the glory days of vaudeville, this great entertainment that was fun, appropriate for the whole family, and totally clean, and, and that would influence his later thinking about movies. And... Uh, and then he started doing plays in college. And when he came to St. Louis and uh, started studying, one of the things he saw in 1914 was something called the Pageant and Mask of St. Louis. I don't know if you ever heard about this no. production. Uh, the audience sat on Art Hill, and they built a stage out in the lagoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a four-hour pageant for four nights, and maybe 400,000 people saw this thing. And the cast had 7,500 performers. And, and, uh, and these pageants were kind of popular. He never pulled one on that scale, but he still had some of the, these that would have 1,000 a, a people on it. And, and you'd have groups that would uh, be the pioneers, dress up in costume and bring the wagons and sometimes animals across stage, and that would be their only part of the show. 
Well, at some point, he hooked up with Cecil B. DeMille uh, and uh, got himself involved in the American film industry. Uh, he had quite an influence on the American film industry as a Catholic cleric. Uh, right, right. Um, Cecil B. DeMille was doing The King of Kings, filming at 1926, came out in 1927, and uh, he needed uh, some some advisors. Technical and he advisors. Technical huh? advisors, and he tapped Daniel Lord. There were several others, but Daniel Lord was the most prominent, and uh, Daniel went out there to work with, with him on the movie, and uh, Daniel Lord's main suggestion was to cut back the footage on Mary Magdalene. Uh, DeMille was known for pushing the boundaries of, of, of it was pretty salacious given the standards of 1920. So this extensive scene of Mary Magdalene and Daniel Lord said, why don't you cut that way down? And then Daniel Lord also wrote all the title cards in it. And there's a, a photograph of him saying mass on the set of The King of Kings. And, uh, you know, what other priest and, and, and the cast was there in costume. So what other priest can boast? He said mass with Jesus in the front row. <laughs> He uh, he did have an impact, though, on, on a movie censorship, did he not, and establishing the rules and regs for that? Yeah, he wrote the controversial Motion Picture Production Code of 1930, which would later become the Hayes Code. Yeah. Now, he was not involved in the later part of it, but he wrote the first version of it. And uh, the reason that happened, he had a Jesuit friend, Fitzgeorge Deneen, in Chicago, who was uh, busy boycotting theaters because of the movie content. So they were friends. And then Fitzgeorge Deneen knew Cardinal Mundelein in Chicago. And uh, Cardinal Mundelein had regular lunches with prominent bankers who, because of the 1929 financial crisis, they now own the movie companies and they were bothered by the content. So all these pieces fit together. They tapped Lord to write the code, and because of Mundelein's influence, the Hollywood producers accepted it, and they freely accepted it because they were worried about federal and state censorship. Why would he have been tapped by DeMille or anybody to uh, initially to get into this uh, industry? Uh, just him? total coincidence, total coincidence that he had the connection in Chicago. There's also another story. He was in New York, and uh, the producers were trying to talk about People were upset about content, and they were given this presentation, and uh, one of the producers said, uh, was trying to explain that the advertising and stuff, they had nothing to do with that, and Daniel Lord stood up and said, no, of course, you totally designed that advertising. This is a total package. And he raised his voice, and the producer talked to him, and that was another way he got connected. But it was kind of being in the right place at the right time. You have to wonder what he'd be thinking if he were seeing the movies today or watching cable television. Oh, right. He'd be... <laughs> <laughs> He'd be totally upset about it. And uh, the thing is, he wanted to improve the content of movies, but he also wanted to improve the quality of it. Mm -hmm. He thought they could make better movies if they were they were cleaner. And, uh, you know, he says if you look at many of those pre-code movies, they're not great movies mm -hmm. at all. So he wanted to improve movies. And, and his standard was, uh, you know, the, the vaudeville shows when he was a kid, this very clean material appropriate for the whole family. Yeah. I want to go back to the, the pamphlets now because I have in my notes here, among the subjects that he dealt with were issues such as split personality, swearing, love, dating and marriage, gambling, faith, of, of course. And uh, he, he got into some very, very serious issues. I want to play one of them right now. He took on communism at one point. The answer to communism is Christian democracy. And until we are willing to live like Christians and act like Democrats, we are not going to lick communism. 
Every time a neighborhood takes an attitude of hatred or bigotry toward a racial group or a, a minority group, we are just handing the communists a ready-made victory on the battlefield. Father Daniel Lord, uh, what would have the, uh, the occasion have been for that? Was it a radio broadcast? It was in the 50s. In the 50s, right yeah. during the McCarthy era. Correct, era, I right. And he thought the answer to communism was that we needed to have a more just society. Yeah. That was his big argument on it. Right. What kind of a radio presence did he have? I mean, some of the some of the very famous religious people used radio and television to great effectiveness. He was on the radio. I haven't been able to figure out that piece and how extensive it was. But he was often on the radio here in St. Louis at the university's radio station and then the Sacred Heart program. But I haven't quite figured out that piece. And had he been in a little different position, he could have gone national with it. He he, he was that good. Yeah. Uh, was he national in any sense of the word? Certainly with the distribution of his printed material. Um, I want to go back to one thing on the pamphlets, and we'll talk yeah, about yeah. how national he yeah. was. Uh, one of the things he talked about, given your previous guest, was date rape. In the 1940s, he was talking about that issue, even though he didn't call it that, but he was very aware of it and trying to make people more aware. Um, national influence, he helped run the sodality movement. These were religious clubs at parishes, uh, high schools, and colleges, and there were 13,000 of them across the country, and he was constantly traveling around the country. He probably met and got to know more Catholic young people than anyone else. He probably also got more Catholic young men and women to become uh, sisters and priests. And uh, he also had a weekly news col column syndicated in diocesan newspapers. So he was well-known nationally. And he was probably taken uh, at too young an age. He became uh, quite seriously ill, but it didn't seem to slow him down very much. Right. He got uh, cancer in 1954 and just kept going. You know, we have another clip I'd like to play because it shows, you know, just what a strong man he was. Uh, he was dying at the time that this uh, that this uh, recording was made, and he cited uh, St. Ignatius as, as one of the, uh, the people that inspired him. St. Ignatius was playing billiards. He's the founder of the Jesuits with some of his associates. And one of them said, if you knew in 15 minutes' time that you were going to die, what would you do? And Ignatius said, I'd finish the billiard game. And I think that's the end. Finish your billiard game. So that's, that's, that's him. And he directed his last show in, in Toronto a couple months before he died. He was dying of cancer, but he was on a cot directing it. Yeah. What, uh, what do you think he would be like today in today's world? I mean, here is a dynamic personality, very, very busy. Can you, can you envision him in, in today's world? Yeah, he was trying to use the technology of his time, which was... Uh, pamphlets and publishing. He was trying to make religious movies. That didn't happen, but he was interested in it. Yeah, he'd be all over the internet trying to find new and different ways to, to, to communicate. What brought you to him? I was doing research on other Jesuits, and people would say, Daniel Lord. Someone ought to do something on Daniel Lord. And it just stuck in my mind. And uh, about 20 years ago, I started working on him and just found this amazing, amazing man. Only a few seconds left. You're working on a book on uh, Daniel Lord. Yeah, the not? book is complete. I'm just trying to find a publisher for it. Well, that's that's always the hard part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Stephen Warren, thank you so much. I'll remind folks that uh, Daniel Lord, 
Um, S.J., The Restless Flame, Thinking Big in a Parochial World, will be shown at 1 p.m. this Sunday, that's July 22nd, in Brown Hall at Washington University. You excited about that? Oh, yeah. Looking forward to it. Okay. Well, I hope you have a nice crowd. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much for being with us. Thank and, you. And introducing many people to Daniel Lord, although he was known to many, many millions, obviously, during his time. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Podcast episodes of St. Louis on the Air are available at stlpublicradio.org, or you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere else to get your po- you get your podcasts. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.